0: hey guys welcome to the real guy podcast today jeff sat down with steward fishing legend mike holiday for years mike's been considered an expert in saltwater fishing since starting his guiding career in 1986 he's filmed tv shows such as george poveromo's world of saltwater fishing mark sosen's saltwater journal and my personal favorite spanish fly with the late jose wehebe he's been a community leader and an active participant in the ongoing fight for clean water He's even had multiple articles published in most regional and national fishing magazines, such as Florida Sportsman and the Saltwater Magazine. Hope you guys enjoy this episode of The Real Guy Podcast, and as always, run that dog.
1: Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air.
0: Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast
1: yeah most of my guys come looking for something specific and i don't ever get to, in the winter i don't ever get the to tourist you know we just want to bend the rod guys those are never mine i miss sometimes i miss those days when you know i'll talk i'll talk to i'll talk to one of the guys and i'm going what are you doing he's like yeah we're jigging ladyfish catching a few pompano and I, and i you know i'm throwing my net trying to catch pilchards and it's 40 degrees out so that I can go snook fish, and I'm just going, ah oh, man, you
0: know, he's making the same money I am. He's working half as hard. Yeah, well, I see that all around me down here in the 305 and the 954. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh man, you know, you know who, you know who absolutely crushes it? These guys have these giant catamaran sailboats, and they can um, they can get like fifty, sixty people on that thing, paying uh-huh. paying fifty bucks. And they take them out to watch the sun go down. Mm-hmm. Sun goes down, they drop them all off. They Come get in, in. And they go home. And I'm sitting there. I watched the whole thing during my charter. <laughs> and I'm just like shaking my head. I said, "I wish I had the stomach to do that every day."
1: Mm-hmm. We we got a guy <laughs> here that has a pontoon boat, and uh, you know he'll take six people, seven people, eight people out. And all these, for the most part, he fishes makes his own jig heads and he fishes shrimp on a jig head. And he does actually pretty well. Yeah. Um, And nobody sees that guy coming and he's, you know, he'll fish the same spots I fish and, you know, he's got his little group of people and, and I look at his, his social media and he's catching some really nice fish. And, you know, you don't even pay attention to the guy, but he's actually, you know, with eight guys at, Eighty bucks a piece, you know. He's making more money than I am, <laughs> and you know he's not throwing a net. He's 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 got minimal cleanup.
0: He's not. He doesn't have to go through all the work. He's just like, yep, lines in. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way I used to look at the longboarders when I'd be surfing. That
1: Thanks, was guys. me, dude.
0: Yeah, you guys would paddle out, stroke around a little bit, catch the wave way on the outside, go right by us, and then you know get two or three waves like that, and then go home. I'm the good well, guy the I I, Dude, I you
1: know I so I surf both longboards and shortboards. Um, the problem, you know, the problem for me is I'm a big guy, and it got to a point with shortboards that you know you sit on a shortboard and and your chest deep in the water, <laughs> and so you know there is no paddling for the wave. You just punch and drop. You know, so it, it's hard to. Just scrape and get to the other waves, and then you have these little guys who are skinny and lanky, and they float on those little boards, so yeah. they can just buzz right by you. So when I went to a short board, all these little guys were getting all the waves around me, and I'm going, "This is bullshit." You know, <laughs> I, I'm going back to my bigger board. So, so I started moving. You know, I was surfing like a uh, seven four or seven six, like a you know mid sized board, right. Um, and then, you know, the longboard is great. If you live in Florida, you've got to have a longboard and surf it because there's so many days when it's small that that's your only option.
0: Are you getting, are you getting much surfing in? I Dude, I haven't surfed in ages. I'm yeah, a slug. Dude, I'm like almost afraid to go out when the waves are good at this point. You might drown. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's my big worry. Like, like I can go out on a nice
1: two to four foot day, no problem. But if it gets bigger than that, I, I might die. And, and you know, I was an ocean lifeguard for 20 years. And you'd think I'd be able to still, you know, dig myself out of it. But uh, other than float holding my breath, you know, I know I'm not going under. But I'm not I'm not stroking out there to the beach. Once the board's gone, the waves are watching
0: me in. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I feel you. You know, it's funny having you on the podcast because... And I tell everybody, I said, you know, I grew up in the industry, you know, and really can't rem- ever remember, you know, not being in. And you know, growing up as a surfing and fishing boat shows, like I always knew who Mike Holiday was. It was, you know, so having you, you know, that's it's, weird. <laughs> it's, it, dude, it's, it's, it may be weird to you, being the, you know, the guy that, uh, you know, somebody was paying attention to. But to me, it's like, thank God I had these guys. Like, I really thought that, you know, there were certain dudes that, you know, I'd meet at the boat show or I'd see at one of these fishing tournaments or events. And then you'd never see them except for that setting or hear about them. Mm -hmm. But Mike Holiday, I knew that you were fishing, you know, down there in Stewart, Fort Pierce, Jupiter. I knew that you were surfing. And I just always felt like it was guys like you that you know I always consider you know what we call a real guy. And uh, to have you on the podcast, it's just uh, it's great. And I think
1: it's. Uh- but, dude, I, I was fortunate. I, I've lived a charmed life. You know, I um, didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I love to fish, love the outdoors, and just you know never put my money as a priority in my life. So it allowed me to do a lot of the things that I always wanted to do you know and and even when i was going to school and was broke i could just go fishing every night and that's what i love to do um and as it as i got older and started to you know do it more i was able to find occupation like you you know what it's like i mean you find an occupation in the industry doing the things you love and when you do that you never have to work a day in your life you know you just go out and have fun you know and and um, when I was writing for magazines and stuff, you know, that was just a way to share my knowledge or experience or whatever I saw or learned with others. And, you know, or to go, it, it was really nice for me. There was a great learning curve because I would go, you know, if I wanted to write a story on catching big trout, I would go find, find out who the best person is at doing that and then go fish with them and write a story. Right. And, and you'd, you know, you'd go out with Jerry Metz and, in Fort Pierce and he'd, he'd show you something and go say, he'd say, you know, well, don't, please don't write about that. I don't want anybody to know we're using sand perch or something. And I go, okay, well, I I won't write about it, but you know, I'm not going to forget it. So, you know, you learned, uh, or I learned a lot of the skills from other people who, you know, were kind enough to share their knowledge with me. So I, you know, in this industry, it's a type of, a type of person where everybody passes it on. It's kind of cool. You don't see that in a lot of places.
0: Yeah, you don't, you don't. And watching you over the years, that's always seemed at least from the outside looking in like a priority for you. Like you wanted to exp- explain to people, you wanted people to know what it was like to Well, I, you know, I,
1: I think that's part of being a guide and part of like, you know, why you do it, I'm sure as well. As you there's these things about where you live and that are just so special that you want to, you want to share them with other people. You want them to see that. And, you know, same deal. Like everybody started out, nobody started out being really good at what they do. You start out as a schmo and the more you do it, and there is no, there is no shortcut, you know, it's a learning curve. You just got to put in the time. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And, you know, you see these other schmos, and you're like, Hey, <clears throat> come here, let me show you something. <laughs> Instead of throwing that, throw this and they go, wow, that was amazing. You know, it, it, it's funny, you, you know, you, you evolve as an angler and as a, as a, as a guide and as a person, a lot of different ways. And, um, most of it's through experiences, you know, It and, and I'll use this as an example. When I was, <clears throat> when I was real young, everything was about ego for me. Um, right. catching the biggest snook That was it, man. I was, all I fished was straight hundred pound test big baits, and I had this I had this way um, when I would gaff a fish. You know, we use bridge gaffs, and I'd keep I bring a little cooler with sodas, and I would bridge gaff a fish, and I would pull it up, and I would throw it on the on the bridge, and I would walk over and get my soda, and I'd let everybody gather around, and I'd stand away from it all and let them all admire the fish, and I, you know, and I'd leave the gaff in the fish and everything. I, it was brutal, man. And, uh, everything was about ego then, you know, I just wanted to be the guy that caught the big fish, you know? What, what, and, what, what, uh, so that's probably, uh, early eighties. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, when everybody, when there were a lot of big fish around and everybody, you know, there were no limits on size on overall size. And in fact, when, you know, when I started, it was a four fish limit with a 18 inch minimum. Right. Um, and a lot of guys just, caught small fish to eat but but you know there's always this little group of guys that were the bridge the bridge guys that caught all the big fish right and, you know they came with the big guns you know my rod was more like a pull cue than it was a fishing rod um, we use calcutta rods and we use you know I use speed masters a lot back then and and the old pen um, I started with squitters even and right. um, straight hundred pound test you know and a Seven zero to 9.0 hook, big uh, O'Shaughnessy Mm -hmm. and a big, you know, one pound mullet or a one pound bunker or, you know, whatever it was at that time the fish were feeding on. And uh, so I was going, you know, then it was just all about catching these big fish and letting people see them. And uh, I was going away uh, for the weekend one time, and I was on this, on the Jensen Causeway uh, in April which is a time when all the ladyfish are there. And so everybody throws this one plug. It was it was a 619 Cisco kid. And I, I don't even know if they make it anymore, but it looked just like a ladyfish in the water. And uh, you know, on any given night, 95% of everybody there is throwing that same lure. And, mm. I, and I caught a nice fish, not remarkably large, probably 26, 27 pounds. And back then people didn't let fish go. Right. You caught it, you killed it. And, uh, so I caught this fish and I knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't have time to clean it before I had to go home and I had to go out of town. So I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be able to take care of it. So it's going to sit whole in my fridge for four days. And I said, ah, you know, I'm not going to deal with this. And I, and I let it go. And every time I went back to that causeway for geez, for 10 years, I hear people go, man, that's a guy let that giant snook go. You know, and, and again, it was all honesty. It was more about ego than it was conservation. I, right. I, I just liked hearing the people say, oh, you know, that's the guy who let that giant snake. It wasn't a giant snake. It wasn't even remarkably large, but it was a good one.
0: You know, it was giant for those guys. Yeah. You know, they're looking at you and they're like, oh, my God, he let it go. He turned right. into a bigger legend than you already were. It it was funny. And then,
1: and then, you know, from there, I kind of just figured out, you know, if I don't start letting these go, I'm seeing less. If I don't start letting these go, um, you know, we aren't going to have anymore. And I started feeling good about it and it kind of led me into the practices that I have now, you know, or every fish I grab, I try and treat it with a lot of respect and make sure it survives. Uh, unless I'm going to, you know, unless I'm going to stab it and grease it. Um, treat it really with a lot of respect because it, you know, it'll be there tomorrow. And, you know, with the loss of habitat we've had lately, the bad water, everything, the number of people fishing, you know, anything we can do to keep the fish in the water right now, we got to do.
0: Right. I can remember when I can, I can remember when you and, um, I want to say Scott deal from Maverick boats and God, I was pretty young at the time, but I remember when the when the catch and release thing, um, you know, really remember,
1: started cutting loose.
0: Right. I I remember like it was it was it was a dramatic change of thinking. Like no one even it never entered anybody's mind. And then you guys started doing it, and then people started talking about it. And then next thing you know, is people are naming their tackle companies, release, and so on and so forth. And then you know this whole you know catch and release thing became. A real guy thing, a normal thing for the best fishermen out there, and um, I got to say, you guys, um, you know, led the way, and I'm and I'm glad, you know, especially you know, being old now and looking back, So thank God, you know, some people did it.
1: Well, you know, it was all about getting over your ego, and uh, you know, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna keep a fish, you're not gonna eat that fish, or if you're not gonna eat that fish that day. The, I mean, these days, I don't I don't ever freeze fish. Right. I, you know, I just, I just, if I'm not going to eat it that day, I'm not going to kill it.
0: Yeah, that's the way I do it too now. And I think, I think a lot of guys do it that way. The, it, um, you know, uh, talking about changes, you know, I, I noticed there's been a, uh, a water taxi thing going on in Stewart now. God. What <laughs> the hell is going on up there, Mike? We're just growing,
1: man. We're getting the growing pains that you had, you know, 20 years ago. And, and I've seen it. So, so when I first came to, to, this town, I came to Jensen beach to go to college in 78 and it was a tiny little fishing town. I mean, tiny. And right. in fact, it was a big deal. Like in 19, I'm going to say around 1980, um, they were getting a Hardee's, you know, it was like front page news. It wasn't a McDonald's. They didn't even have a McDonald's. It was a Hardee's, <laughs> right. you know, and now, you know, it's just giant town. And it, I mean, it's just growing so fast. And that's what we're seeing. You know, there, there's so many people using the water. And, and you know, I get it. You know, there's a reason everybody lives by the coast. Um, 40% of the population in this country lives by the coast. Because we're right. drawn to water. And we love the water. And it relaxes us. And it touches our souls. And, you know, for some people, it's just about smelling it. And other people, it's just about... Seeing the wildlife, seeing a dolphin—you know, it, it, doesn't it amazing how many people it makes their day just to see a dolphin, a porpoise? It does like, yeah. Hope <laughs> they don't come over here and take my bait, or you know, screw up my fishing.
0: Right, right. you're like, but, like gritting teeth, and they're as happy as clams.
1: <laughs> but but anytime you get that growth, man, and and Stewart is just going under this exponential growth phase, where it's just blowing up. And, uh, you know, anytime you get that, there's people who are, you know, looking to capitalize on it, um, in any way they can. And water taxis are just a part of it. It's like, okay. You know, we got, we got, you know, hot dog salesmen out on the water and stuff at the sandbar. And somebody's always looking to capitalize, make a little profit out of it. And and, you know, but at some point in time you're just going, geez, you know, there's only so much room on the waterways and, um, you know, we got to keep our water as clean
0: and as pure as we can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I, what I, what I, what I worry about when I, when I see towns like, um, Stewart, Jupiter, Port Charlotte area, and I, and I watch the growth and I just, it, it makes it hard for me to watch it. Because I know right behind the growth is total exploitation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Do you think Stewart is ready for the growth? Or do you think they're going to fall into the same type of mistakes that we made down south here, where we we just let people just totally exploit this place?
1: Well, you know, we're fortunate in that Martin County has a four-story height limit on things. So they can't go up. You know, that being said, they're just sprawling west, and they're and they're trying really hard to do that.
0: Right. They
1: really want to just grow this place like Port St. Lucie, you know, and just drive that many people. And 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 you know how it is, dude. When the more people you have on the water, the more stuff coming off of lawns into the water. The more, you know, you always have a guy who doesn't want mangroves in his yard, so he's cutting those down illegally and you know over time people forget about what it is they love about where they live right and they want oh you know i need just a little extra money or i don't like that i don't like those mangroves or in my big block my view and mm. uh, yeah that guy and then you have the guy who's going you know i just you know i'm 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 in the construction business and i'm trying to build as many as i can cuz you know, it's not enough that I've got, you know, a Land Rover and a, and a F-250. I need, you know, I need a house right. in Aspen or something.
0: Right, 10 million bucks. Dude, that's just well, crazy. you know, at some point,
1: and, but, like but you're, you know, at some point, you're just going to go, what happened to my town? I don't want to live here anymore. Right. You know, and and we're seeing it already with our traffic, you know, both our land and our water traffic. Like, I, I feel like I live in the land of wakes. I, I don't know that I've ever been anywhere that there's so many boat wakes as there are around the crossroads area, um, even on a weekday. And, you know, you try and fish the inlet. It's a constant stream of boats. Uh-huh. So it, that was never the way, the way it was. And, and it, I mean, as little as 10 years ago,
0: it yeah, was never the like last, that. The last 10 years, um, the the growth rate has accelerated to an unbelievable oh. extent.
1: And, and, you know, with that comes the fishing pressure, uh, the, the pressure on the water, the crowds at the boat ramps, all of it. And, you, you know, at some point you just go, man, you know, what happened to my town? And, you know, do I even enjoy this anymore? Right. Um, and it, it's gotten really, fishing's gotten really a lot more difficult, exponentially difficult, where you really have to work to catch fish these days. And the, you know the declining water quality has a big factor in that, but I would also tell you that fishing pressure has played a big factor in that as well.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Now the—is um, that what motivated you to um, become such a big part of Captains for Clean Waters?
1: Uh, really, it is. Um, you know, you—you—it's it, interesting because you—you you know, you watch the water decline over over your lifetime, and. Um, there were times I remember when I was, when I was young, when I was in my twenties and they dumped huge volumes of water on us, greater than they do now, um, right. where they're, you know, to the point where there were, there were alligator guards or not alligator guards, but regular guards at, at the Jensen beach causeway when you're fishing at night, you know, oh. which is about, Oh, seven miles up river, eight miles from the inlet um, where that water's flowing out. And those, Despite that, it didn't kill off all the grass. And then about eight years ago, something changed in the system. I I think really it has to do with the use of uh, herbicides on Lake Okeechobee, mm-hmm. but um, and those those herbicides washing downstream into our waters. But something changed to where all of a sudden all the grass was dead.
0: Right.
1: And and you know you go from being able to fish in the middle of the river up on these beautiful sandbars and around these spoil islands, you know, and you're just, I don't, I'm not in boat wakes. I'm out in the middle of nowhere in a manatee zone. It's me and nobody else in these beautiful grass flats. And it goes from that to a moonscape. And, you know, there's no fish cause there's no, nowhere for the food to hide. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the first you still have, the grass dies and you still have shrimp and little bait fish and and all around. And then, winter comes and all the bluefish and jacks and ladyfish move in and eat that all. So then you come to spring, there's nothing there. There's no food. So the, so the, you know, the snook and the trout and the reds, they don't hang out there anymore. Right. So now you're fishing shorelines. Um, and you know, shorelines for us means docks, uh, which is similar to what you guys got in seawalls. And, um, you know how it is if there's, you know, if there's one dock that's good and people see you on it, then, People fish it a lot and you pull up and there's nobody on the dock. Doesn't mean the dock hadn't been fished that day. It means there's nobody on it. Somebody may have left five minutes ago.
0: Right. 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 And and it's, you know,
1: seeing the degradation of our water quality is just something that makes you go, wow. You know, if I don't do something, uh, you know, I'll have to blame myself for watching it all disappear. Right. It's, what happens is, uh, you know, the young guys, the guys that are just getting into the industry, they're seeing it this way. They don't know it any different. Right. So this is the norm. And they accept it as the norm. They don't know any different.
0: Right. And then you have,
1: you, have, you know, old guys like me who are like, this used to be giant seagrass meadows. And, you know, it, 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 here's a really good example. In in, uh, in April and May, 10 years ago, I would fish a selfish Point Flats. Yep. And I would shoot for 30 snook a day. And out of those 30 snook, a lot of them will be smaller fish, um, which is standard for our, you know, for our spring fishing. If you weed through the small fish, you get a slop fish or, or two or three or four, and then one real big fish. Right. But, you know, light line, 10-pound test, open water, um, throw them mostly pilchards and sardines and pinfish or sand perch under corks, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'd have 30 snook, I'd I'd average 30 snook and, you know, two or three trout. And of those trout, oh, all of them would be over six pounds and one would be over eight or nine pounds. Wow. And in the last, let's see, this year I've caught two trout and I would typically catch in April and May, I would catch a hundred of those trout, easy, of those big trout. And I caught two trout so far this year. I caught one trout last year total. Two trout the year before, two trout the year before. I mean, it's just they're just gone. Yeah, it's a different place almost. It is. It's a com- and and it's a completely different fishery. Right. You know, I I was using ten pound braid in open water, and you know, you hook a thirty pound snook, he's got a thousand yards to find a dock or something, and he didn't go in a thousand yards on you. Right. Now I'm fishing, you know, I'm fishing around docks with fifty pound braid, trying to stop him from going five feet. Right. Right. Uh, Which, you know, if you got the right angler, you can do it. But if you don't have the right angler, you know, you're leaving hooks and fish, which just pisses me off to no end.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So I I tell you, I watched the snook fishery here in Port Everglades go from, and the beautiful thing about it is most people didn't realize, but this place would compete with Jupiter Inlet in not too crazy long ago, 15, 17, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, visiting Jupiter Inlet and catching fish there and then coming back home and being like, well, why the hell am I going to drive, you know, an hour and a half and I can just do it right here.
1: I got the same and, thing here, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I used to just laugh about it, you know, like, you know, Jupiter Inlet, shit, you guys can't, you know, whatever Everglades, we got just the biggest and I can't say that. I don't even take people snook fishing in the summer anymore one because you can't get enough of them and two if i could get enough of them i'd feel bad about beating them up at this point i get that you know what i mean
1: yeah, i get that uh but uh you know our summer fish are <clears throat> a lot of them are spawning around the inlets and, and i remember you know i remember when there were three flats boats in this town and i owned one of them or you know i would go i would go fish the fish around the inlet and I was the only one there. There was nobody there. You couldn't even. They, people didn't even know you could catch a fish in the inlet. Right. And uh, other than at, you know, at, at night in in bad weather, and and um, you know, now the inlet is just there's four boats in every spot all day every day, and even into the night, the fish just get no break. I to be honest, I I want nothing to do with snip fishing in the summer if I don't have to do it. I, I I wanna go I wanna go outside and you know, last week I I was sail fishing.
0: Yeah, uh, you guys are crushing them.
1: It was really good. It was really good. And uh, you know, I'd rather do that or I'd rather go <clears throat> we lost all our permit. We used to have a lot of permit. I'd rather go permit fishing or tarpon fishing or go in on the beach and live chum and and fly fish the you know, the the bonitas and the and the kingfish and you know. Anything but snook fish is what I want to do, because uh, I do it nine months out of the year. Right. Um, June, I I don't snook fish at all in June ever. I'm tarpon fishing always,
0: right.
1: and July, you know, I'll do what my clients want to do. But I I say, well, we can do it for a little bit. You know, it, it was always the last thing on my day that I wanted to do because they were the you know it was sort of like well, I know we can go catch a few snook, Right. but I, you know, I always wanted to go. I wanted to go tarpon fish and then go catch a permit and then come back and catch a snooker. I wanted to go live chum offshore and see if we catch a, you know, a tuna or, or a Wahoo or, or, you know, some sails and then come in and snook fish. Um, it was just your thing you did. If you didn't, if you had a bad day doing the other things, right. you know, and you know, there's guys, we have a lot of guides that just park on them. That's all they do. It's snook fish right. all day, every day. Which to me is maddening.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's harsh. Yeah. I don't know. I was I was doing a recording with um, Bonefish, tarp and Trust guys, Ross and Mark the last couple of days, mm-hmm. and I brought up the Boca Grande, and you know, I mean, I get it, Boca Grande. You know, over the years, that's been the place. You know, it's got a long history and all that. But at this point, in this day and age, and what we know about you know our fisheries. I mean, when are people going to come to their senses and not basically kill those tarpon and feed them to the sharks?
1: That's what they do.
0: I mean, I, I, I call it the night of you know?
1: Well, this it won't be a popular opinion, but, I mean, how many of those fish that get caught in Boca Grande do you think survive?
0: I'm thinking almost all of them are dead. I think so, too. Yeah, because I know what happened here in Port Everglades, Hullover Inlet, and um, government cut. You know, I know that after we catch one or two tarpon in a row, that those big sharks are just swimming around us waiting for us to let one go. That's right. And we watch. We got clear Mm -hmm. water here. We know. And a lot of the guides down south here, um, let's just say you cut, you know, two nice fish in a row at Bear Cut. You'll stop fishing and leave Bear Cut because you Mm -hmm. don't want to catch another one because you're afraid that you're just going to feed the sharks. Mm -hmm. And – that mentality down here um, is starting to become normal, not because people are smart, but you just cannot ignore it. But in 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 Boca Grande, um, the guys from Tarpon Trust were saying Seven Mile Bridge and Via Honda are similar, but kind of like what you did in the old days, starting to let snooks go, I really think that the fishermen themselves need to look at these places, realize they're a natural phenomena, and... Make the choice not to exploit them.
1: Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, unfortunately, money is the driving factor for a lot
0: of people. Right. And we're talking about it now. And knowing that it's going to be unpopular for a while. Same Mm -hmm. way it was with some of the other fisheries. But the discussion has started.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Have you ever been to a legendary captain's dinner at the IGFA? No. If you get a chance, you should go to that. It, it, okay. It's interesting because one, it, you know, it's all these guys who have spent their whole life fishing, and they're getting. Ready, I know, you know them and,
0: all. You haven't been to the event.
1: Well, and and you, you know, you realize when you're there, these guys really deserve the recognition. I mean, every I mean, one of them's a badass. You when you when you're there, you're like, that dude's a badass. And and half of them, you look at, you're like, that dude's a killer. You know, you know. They bring these guys from Australia that are that are black marlin. Fishermen and stuff, and you're like, man, that guy stabbed some serious fish, right? And uh, every single one of them, without exception, speaks about conservation. Every single one of them, yeah. And you you, you see that a couple years in a row, and you kind of come to the realization that as you get older and you see the changes in your fishery, you 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 know it's something you love. Here's a place I love and care about so much, and I'm seeing the changes, and I can't just sit by and watch it go to hell. Yeah. So, you know, that's why you see a lot of these older guys speaking up and taking these stands. And, and, you know, as you get even older, it's when you start out young and if you notice it, then you get older and you realize a lot of these changes that for the better of our fisheries are because of those people. And, you know, it, it, it's not a, you're just doing it to try and hope that people have the fishing that you had when you were young and get to see the cool shit that you saw, you know, cause we're so fortunate. We are on the water. We see just amazing things that people will never see yep. if they're not on the water all the time. Like us, you just, you just, it's about time on the water, you know? Sure.
0: Sure. Right. And
1: you, and you just wish other people can see that and you really hope it's just around in the future. You know, I mean, yeah. if you, you keep, how many tarpon can you take out of the population before it just starts to suffer?
0: Right. Or how long can you, how long can you stomach watching the suffering? Yeah. You get involved. Yeah. Before, before you practice, you know, before your practices change. Yeah. And uh, you know, conversation is great. That's one of the things I love about this platform, being on podcasts, is I've known about you and have followed you for years. This is the longest I've ever spoke to you. I don't think that, we've ever spoke for more than two minutes without just saying hi very quickly. Just, this it's community.
1: a small world, you know, and and all of us are running all the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Where do you, um, you know, you mentioned where you are in your guide career um, and you know that, you know, you can't do it into your sixties and seventies. Where do you see yourself going from here? Where, where would you, if, if if everything went exactly the way you wanted where, do you, where would you see yourself going from here
1: so if, if everything went the way I wanted it I would write a novel that became successful and I would just go fishing every day you know I would love to be able to get to a point where I can retire and I dude I can do retirement really well people people retire and they're like they don't know what to do with themselves I can find something to do with myself <laughs> every day. No problem. I'll, you know, I'll get up early cause I get up early anyway and I'll go put my boat in the water and I don't, then I won't need a big boat. I just need a little boat and I'll go walk on a flat and fly fish or go through top water plugs on a seawall or something and come in at 10 o'clock, have a nice breakfast, take a nap, get up, go to the gym, take my dog to the beach or go for a walk. I mean, I can find something to do every day and I won't get tired of that. I do that same schedule every day you know, I'm good the rest of my life. So, so I don't, the answer is, I don't know. You know, I got, I got still have young kids that are just my old, my youngest is 15. My oldest yeah. is 21. So I'm just getting everybody through college. So, you know, work's not going to let up for a while. That's for sure.
0: Right.
1: Um, uh. You know, I really enjoy the writing and I, and to me it was a, it was a, a, a passion and, Something I just... I I can sit and write stuff, particularly fiction. And when I'm done, it's just enjoyable to do it.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, So I'd love to get back to it. I got out of it because it just doesn't pay enough to sustain, you know, a a family of five in this environment um, as a writer anymore. That's for sure. I I don't know how people do it anymore. Yeah. Um, So, you know...
0: I watch, I watch, and Fort Lauderdale is, you know, to the extreme as far as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cost of living for the state. And like you said, as I watch. And my wife and I, we were, we were fortunate. Uh, we settled into Fort Lauderdale when we were just kids and we bought a house here. And, you know, it, it kind of worked out because we were in it so early. But, man, I have no clue what the hell these people do to be able to live in downtown Fort Lauderdale or anywhere close to the beach.
1: Mm-hmm. Because I know
0: damn well that the, you know, the average paying job here is about 60,000 bucks. And 60,000 bucks in a lot of these properties is you can barely pay your property tax. Yep. So I have no clue what the hell is going on out there. I mean, I'm everybody. I bring home my yeah. bucks and I can get by, but Jesus, what the hell are these people doing?
1: Everybody's working three jobs. It's, you know, we've become that society where we just work all the time, which to me is insane. Right. You know, if, if you love what you do, okay, you know, it, it's uh, it's more like you get to go to work than you have to go to work, but it's right. still work, right. you know? It's still, you know, at, at, <clears throat> at one o'clock in the afternoon when you roll by a sandbar on a Sunday with your charter, and you know, all your buddies are out there on the sandbar, you know, you still got to knock two more hours out before you're even going home. And then you got to wash your boat when you get home and start rigging for tomorrow. You know, it, it, you may love the job, but it's still work. And, uh, you know, as a society, I think sometimes we have it we have it wrong. Yeah. Everything is about the buck right now.
0: Yeah, I think a lot, think a lot of people, you know, basically just got to chase their tail just to get by at this point. But... It, um, it, Seems to be the way. And, and, you know, it's it's good if you're a
1: family, then, you know, a, you have a husband and wife that are both work, the, the two incomes really help you get by a lot. Just to, to be a single guy and trying to make it in this world right now, it's got to be really tough, you know, if you want to be anywhere near where you want to love. Or right. you, you want to live, I mean.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I don't know. I got a feeling Stuart's going to be... Not too far behind Fort Larry as far as property values. I feel like it too, dude.
1: Our, dude, our water, our water quality sucks. Oh, and I, and I mean it sucks. It and you know we haven't gotten any water from Lake Okeechobee. We've had we've had a whole summer of just ag runoff between the lake and here, uh, between the lake and the, in the East Coast. That's just all those farmlands draining into the canals, and it's just they just pump this nasty water. It's untreated water out out the canals, out the St. Lucie River. Some of it's in the Indian River. Some of it's, you know, when you go out the inlet, you gotta go four or five miles just to get into beautiful crystal crystal clear, beautiful green blue water. Right. But when you're inside, you know, you're living you live in coffee the whole time. Right, right. And it stinks. I mean it stinks horribly. And yeah. you just you know you just wonder at times. Like I'm I always wonder what am I gonna Am I going to be that martyr? Am I going to be the guy who gets the flesh-eating virus, or you know, am I going to get? Am I going to get uh Lou Gehrig's disease from the from the algae and, and all that they release? You, you don't know, and it like
0: no, it's, it's hard, hard to do. live in that. Always on your mind. In, in my stuff that I put on my boat now. I put Dawn antibacterial soap and I wash my hands two or three times a trip. Now, that's
1: a really good idea.
0: Well, if you were fishing here in Fort Lire, you'd probably already be doing
1: it. Well, you, uh, I mean, you know, you reach your hands in that live well all day.
0: Well, a, a, a guy that, um, a guy that's <coughs> been here forever, John Tedder who's fished on charter boats and got, got up and got a dozen mullet every day since he's been freaking like 15 years old here. During that huge sewage spill we had here, on his way to work, he netted some mullet. He had jeans on. The jeans were saturated in the water. Got into some little cuts on his leg. He damn near lost his leg. That's crazy. Yeah. And what's really crazy is, unlike Stuart, there's only a half a dozen dudes that are even doing that here anymore. And one of them lost his leg. Yeah. Well, you got sewage spill issues there. Oh, Dude. That's crazy. I'd be be militant. (laughs) You're totally killing me. But, you know, it motivated me me to get with guys like you that, you know, are thinking that way. And what I want to do is I want to go to towns like Stewart. And um, I want to go there and I want to invite people to listen to the story about Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. Because my dad was here in 1975 basically just to fish. And today, when my 14-year-old wants to go boating with her friends, I have to tell her to stay out of the water. Yep. And I just want the smaller towns that are going through the growth rate, like Stewart, to look here in Fort Lauderdale. We don't have one mangrove tree left in downtown Fort Lauderdale.
1: That's crazy.
0: Not one. I took the mare out on the boat the other day. And I was really grateful that he came out with me because I just wanted to show him from a real guy perspective, the waterways. Not from a guy on a water taxi, not from the guy on the Jungle Queen, not from the guy that's here to buy the big boat. But from a guy that was here in the 70s, 80s, 90s and is still trying to do it now. And I wanted to explain to the mayor how I saw the water. And surprisingly, he was really good out there. And he listened and he took some notes and he was trying to get into the mindset. And I know it wasn't easy for him. But well, you- across the state to look and say, look, Fort Lauderdale was once the place to be if you were into fishing and you were into the water. And don't make the same mistakes that we made here.
1: And, and dude, let me tell you, you know the St. Lucie River is much like the waterway in, Fort, Pier- or in uh, Fort Lauderdale. You know we're we're getting all this muck from the lake washing in, so there is no seagrass. There's oyster beds, but they're they're just dead oysters. Yeah. You know, anytime any chance it ever has of coming back, there's water, co- fresh water, constantly dumped on it. There's no chance they're going to survive. And and. You know, it's just a matter of time before the whole bottom of the river is muck. And it's not far from that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, nothing grows. right? And you look at all, okay, this guy used to have all mangroves along his shoreline. They're all gone now. This used to be all mangroves. That's all gone now. And you just see it disappearing. And it just turns into a, you know, for lack of a better term, a, you know, a mud canal yeah um which it, there is habitat for fish you know it will sustain only so many though and any habitat will sustain only so many fish but when there's you know when there's mangroves and there's seagrasses and the middle of the river becomes habitat then you can sustain so many more right you know and now you know what sustains them is a dock or a bridge or a seawall and the reality is you know the, those things don't they don't hold much, you know. How much bacon live on that uh, in, in the open before it's all eaten? How much food? Oh. It, food's what's going to drive everything.
0: Now, with the um, project <clears throat> the Captains for Cleaned Waters doing and some of the legislation that got passed and everything, are you feeling any type of, can I say, comfort about the future? That
1: I, I would tell you there's hope, you know. I, I would tell you a couple of things, you know, the, the last, um, election really set a tone and that, you know, they'd never seen anything bef- like it before mm-hmm. where the people actually banded together. And uh, I mean, you know how elections are. There, there are candidates that are in there that, that get all the money. It's all about money, dude. And they get all the money and all the support and that's who's supposed to win, you know? And when the people band together, and say we're tired of this, and you don't believe in us. You have your own special interest, and it's not what we want. And that guy doesn't get elected. It shocks the whole, you know, election system. Right. So I think I think four years ago I really did that, and it was a surprise. Like DeSantis was a real surprise to people. Nobody ever saw that dude coming. Right. And Brian Mast in my area was was amazing. That dude. You know it was interesting because when he was when he was running and nobody really knows there were a bunch of people running on the water issues. He was the only guy I ever saw out on the water. I saw him out with the Indian River keeper one day. You know, wanting to know, like really concerned, mm-hmm. and that's that's what you want to see. So you know, captains has gotten um, the people together, and when when outdoorsmen and fishermen and people who love the water all band together. They're a force, yes. uh, you know, uh, and the people have to pay attention to that and all the businesses as well. So uh, we're starting to see that change in dynamic and people are realizing that, you know, there's a reason we live here and we're destroying what we love. And, it, you know, once it's gone, it, it's going to be a lot harder to get it back. And, right. you know, we, we've seen this degradation go on for a long time with nothing being done. And I think people are very frustrated. I think the water issues are huge issues right now. And, you know, long-term it's going to be about just water, like drinking water, you know, and if we don't get the water back on its natural system where it's percolating through the land and recharging the aquifer and flowing down into the Everglades and, you know, um, controlling the salinity in Biscayne Bay and and out the Miami River, you know, those areas are going to die. And when they die, people will realize that what they live there for is gone and want to move. And I think, you know, I think we're already seeing that. I think we're seeing people already going, you know, this is not the place I lived in growing up and I want to leave. And then you have people who are moving in that are just, they don't know any different until they see the change. They won't they won't move or they're not used to the water. You know, people who grew up on the water, I think are, are having a hard time with it right now. And I think, um, the things that are being done right now is are major steps forward. I think it's national recognition and people are realizing if they don't take care of the water right now, it's at that tipping point. Um, you know, 10, 20 years from now, it's, it's going to be unrecoverable.
0: I'm glad to hear you know some optimism come out of you because I think you're one of the few people that you know can see it um, crystal clear and, yeah and if you told me that you didn't have any optimism it would hurt
1: <laughs> well uh, you know not not very long ago I didn't have much optimism you know five or six years ago I was really frustrated with it and um, you know seeing seeing guys, like Brian mast out there fighting for it, inspire me. Right. You know, it, it, it's funny because I, I think we're seeing a shift in politics right now. Um, yeah. Away from personal agendas. I, it, you know what I really want to see? I want to see a politician. I want somebody to ask a politician a question, whatever it is. Let's say it's uh, how do you feel about abortion? And I want the politician to say, what is how I feel matter? You know, I represent you. I want to know how you feel. Hmm. And that's how politicians, I mean, they, they're supposed to be elected to represent us
0: and our up. views. That's the way they're supposed to work. But they don't. Yeah, no shit for a long time.
1: So, you know, and, and I want to see that change. And I think it's coming because I think, I think the social media has really had an impact on that. And, 100%. you know, I, I, I think we saw that in the last election. And I think people are tired of politicians having their own personal agenda, chasing their own agenda and just lying to your face, having their agenda. And, you know, the agenda is always the agenda of some big corporations who need to create a, you know, a mine or something, something that always is about money and greed and, and ecosystem destruction. And, um, I think people are fed up with it and they're seeing through it and you know, it, it's gotten shown where you know you can react right away to something that happens and it's out on social media and two days later everybody's pissed off at you.
0: Yeah, they so, can't they can't hide people's opinions anymore. They can't yep. hide they can't hide people's freaking remarks anymore. You know, some of the some of the some of the other guides and stuff, you know, they get tired of hearing about the complaining going. And I say, well, I said, don't get too tired of hearing about the complaining going on because there was a lot of complaining going on for a long time that nobody heard.
1: Mm-hmm. That's I, right.
0: I got us in the position we're in now. You know?
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's correct. The other side of that is, you know, I hear God saying, oh, you know, don't complain because it hurts our business. And that, you know, I just tell him that's such a short sighted, you know, view of what's going on here if you don't do something now you won't have your business in five years right you know you need to really step up and think about this you know whether it hurts you a little bit this year it stings you you know five years from now when it's not there and you're scratching for clients because the fishing stinks you know you'll be sorry you didn't speak up
0: well, you know, I, wa- I watched, you know, I watched it here and I've heard that argument and I've heard other guides have, you know, gotten a little bit pissed at me because, you know, I'm very vocal and I tell it like it is. And I, my opinion is as a guide, if you're a good guide, the harder the fishing gets, the more demand you're going to have because only a few people are going to be able to take them out to catch a fish. Yep. And if you're a good guide, that means you're one of them. So you don't have to worry about your business. You're going to pay your bills, but can you pay your bills and feel good? Can you grow old in the business without getting an ulcer? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and that's you know that's what these guys need to realize. Like their business is going to be there. Their environment may be gone. Their quality of life may be gone. But if Fort Lauderdale has never shown anybody anything, the cash stays around.
1: Yeah, the cash would be the a good
0: thing, but it's here. You know, Uh,
1: and, and, you know, the big factor in there is your quality of life, man. Right. You know, there's a reason you live here. There really is. And it's not about necessarily about work, you know, it's about what you do in your downtime, what you love about Florida, what you love about the area. And, uh, you know, for guys like us, it's the water. And if that's gone, Dude, I don't want to live here. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean. I, I, I don't play golf, which is my only other option. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so, you know, I like I said, I, I can retire really well and go fishing every day,
0: and well, still I love it. That, um, I love it. I love the fact that um, when you do get to the time when you can retire, that you're not going to be one of these old guys that are pissed off playing shuffleboard. You know, then you're going to know what to do with yourself. Yeah, no, it's not going to be me.
1: You got plenty
0: plenty of old retired dudes in this town that you know pissed off playing shuffleboard every day.
1: Well, I will tell you this: I this year I've seen grouchier than ever, and I don't know if it's just because I'm old, you know, and I'm getting the grouchy, or because uh, you know I'm fishing a bunch, so I'm tired a lot now. Uh, But I've noticed it a few times. I've I've commented to people on in my boat. I've said something where I would go, dude, I'm sorry. I would never say that. And uh, it's just a grouchiness in me. And part of it's a frustration, I think. And a a frustration of just not having things how I want it. Right. You know, just, okay, you know, I want to go tarpon fishing. Well, I can fish around the inlet, but it's just brown water. You can't see the bite. You can't see the fish, you know, and man. I hate that stuff. I'd rather go to clean water, sight casting the fish, you know, picking the fish you want, and just watching them move. Watch your posture. Watch them react. It's just such a different experience. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think sometimes the frustration of that gets to me just because you know, okay, now now I got to make the run, and and you know how it is. You got to make the decision whether you're going right or left. Right. And on any given day, you can there's a 50% wrong factor to it. <laughs> so, you know,
0: and it is irritating having to make those, you know, decisions on things that aren't natural. Yeah. Things that we've had to put up with things that are topics of ours that, you know, are not, they're just not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So when you have to make those decisions, you spend that mental energy on it. It's frustrating. It sucks.
1: Like, yeah. There's a lot of stress in it. No yeah. doubt.
0: So that doesn't surprise me. doesn't surprise me that, you know, you get a little grumpier. Yeah, but out. I was never
1: the grumpy guy, ever.
0: Ever. Hey, everything changes in life, and it's okay to be grumpy. Only oh, the, yeah. ones are the ones that get freaking uh, frustrated by it. I'm with you. Or get offended by it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Some yeah, of the yeah, best yeah. guys that I've ever worked for, some of the best clients I've ever had, some of the best people i have ever been around have been grumpy son of a bitches. Yeah. Be okay. Don't feel bad.
1: Well, you know, you think about my favorite actor is Clint Eastwood. In most most <laughs> of his roles, he's just a grumpy bastard the whole time.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mike, listen, I really appreciate your time. And thanks for being on the Real Guy podcast. Dude, um, happy to
1: do it any time. We but, you need to get get together and go fishing one day.
0: You know, let's, let's do that. Let's do that because... Um, I want to come down to uh, Stewart, and I want to plan an event. I want to tell the Fort Lauderdale story. I want to have a good time when I come. Um, I've made some really good friends down there with Lucas and George Gods, Taylor Guflosco. And, um, yeah, I want to spend some time down there, and I'd love to spend, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd love to spend just some time on the boat with you because I've known him for so long, I'm, and, uh, yeah, I think it would be the right move.
1: That's an interesting prospect, though. Getting getting you to tell the Fort Lauderdale story too. You know, I've been wanting to do something here, some kind of event here, and, and we're kind of in limbo because of of COVID. What I, What I wanted to do was I wanted to take one of the little spoil islands and put a band on it, and everybody comes by boat, and you know sits around. You can't get can't get out of your boat. Can't get on the sandbar. You know, stay in your boat so you're socially distancing. And hang out and, and you know, af- nice afternoon and nice Sunday, Saturday afternoon, party, listen to some bands. Yeah. And uh, And at the same time, have the opportunity for people to talk about the water and be able to go, you know, if you look at the water right now, it's brown. It's not supposed to be brown. It's supposed to be green and crystal clear and beautiful. It's not supposed to stink. You know, it's supposed to be nice and you're supposed to want to get out of the boat. You're supposed to want to look over at it and be able to see anything that ever, you know, you were ever worried about, Oh, I might step on a stingray. Well, you'll see it coming. It's crystal clear.
0: Right. You know?
1: Um, so I, you know, I, I I think it's important to try and get people to realize that this is not the norm. I think, I think that's what people see it. You know, particularly a a lot of our youth, they become complacent because this is the only way they've ever
0: known it. Yeah. They don't know any different. Yeah. Do you know my, my kid has never, in her entire life, been on the intercoastal here in Fort Lauderdale without sharing it with a water taxi. That's crazy. Think about that, Mike. That's crazy. She does not know what that water was like without having a goddamn water taxis going back
1: and forth. Oh, my God.
0: But it doesn't seem to bother her. It drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, well, that's because I don't know any different.
0: I exactly. don't know what, like, solitude is. Exactly. exactly. You know what I mean?
1: I mean that was a big part of the reason you went fishing was to get away from it all right. to break the stress I mean it, catching fish was like your bonus you're just out on the way it's the same it it's very similar in surfing you know when you're when you're out there and you're sitting out out on the in the lineup you don't really think about problems or anything your your mind is just like blank right
0: in the and,
1: yeah and you're just kind of looking for the next wave and and just taking it all in and you know, sometimes you'd lay back in the water and you could hear the waves washing up on the beach. And the, and when it would come back down, you hear all the shells like jingling. I could feel that in my spine. And you just totally relaxed, totally de-stressed, not thinking about anything but that moment right then. And I think fishing has always been a lot about that. And then you have all these crazy distractions like a water taxi, you know, right. or big boats blasting by you. And you go, man.
0: Right. I just want to be left I don't about that wave anymore when that's happening. Yeah, I think maybe we'll name this pod. I think maybe we'll name this episode "Looking for the New Wave." There you go. I love it. Dig it, love it. it, man. I love it. Anyway, Mike, thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. Um, really appreciate you. Keep up the good work down there, on Stuart I will reach out reach out to you as soon as this COVID shit gets some sort of. Um, I don't know. Some sort of rhythm some sort of ending where we all know what we can and can't do. I want to reach out to you spend some time with Stewart and um, I'm sure the uh, audience out there is going to love this recording because it's all about real guys and I've got to tell you Mike holiday ever since I first moved to Maine has always been a real guy in my book um, I really appreciate the time being on the podcast. Thank you Jeff.